God, it's, a, it's just a privilege to come before you this morning. God, we trust you have really good things to, to share with us. Uh, wherever we're at this morning, however we ended up here, uh, whether this is our first time and we're trying to figure this God thing out or we feel like we need to be going to church or uh, if we haven't been to church in a long time but maybe we have a history of that and you just got to just trust in you led each person right here this morning, whether this is our routine uh, or whether this is something totally new. God, I trust you have a word to speak to us. God, you've given the gospel the good news to every single person on earth in all times and all places you've given it to us you've given us your grace as we sang about in that song God help us to come to a place of grace of understanding a place where we know more when we walk out of here about the good news and about how it applies to our life Lord help us Lord, help me not to get in the way, Lord. We, we also lift up our south location, meeting down there for the first time at elementary school this week. God, just bless them, please. Bless that work. God, help them to make disciples. Help us to be disciples and make disciples right here in the Highlands. In Jesus' name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. All right. Well. I thought I'd just jump right in this morning and make this crazy statement. Christians are hypocrites. Have you heard that before? I've heard that. Uh, I, I would suggest do this, but it, I caution. Uh, I Google search that phrase. It's very interesting what you find. Um, there's a lot of people who have a lot of beefs with people who claim the name of Christ. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why people say Christians are hypocrites. Um, I think if we go to the definition of hypocrite, I looked it up on the internet, so it must be true. The definition of hypocrite is this, it's a person who pretends to have virtues, moral or religious beliefs, principles, etc., that he or she does not actually possess, especially a person whose actions belie those stated beliefs. Somebody who claims to have beliefs and doesn't live by those beliefs. It doesn't live in line with those. If we look to the Bible and we look to Jesus, Jesus talked about hypocrites. Uh, In uh, Matthew chapter 6, he got real heated talking about religious leaders, and he called them hypocrites. And what he was talking about was this idea that uh, they were living in a religious way on the outside, but inside and in their hearts, they weren't honoring God with what was going on inside. And so we could even ask this as a question, are Christians hypocrites? Well, people make this statement, and I think one of two things are true. Either people who say this are wrong, and Christians are not hypocrites, or that's true, and Christians are hypocrites. So which is it? Well, let's look at Galatians. I think Galatians is going to have some answers for us. The first thing we see 
We're picking up here in uh, the second half of chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to open to it. We're going to start in verse 11. <clears throat> the first thing we're going to learn, if you're taking notes, you're welcome to write any of this down, is that Peter, who was the apostle, was a hypocrite. So I'll read that passage for you here. I've got it, and I'll put it on the screen. It says this, Cephas, that's Peter, another name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, I, that's Paul who's writing this letter, one of the other apostles, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, James is another one of the apostles there in Jerusalem, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles, but when these guys came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas, remember Barnabas is one of Paul's right-hand men, even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, Peter, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews. So Peter knew the gospel, right? Peter had to know the gospel. He was an apostle. He was like the central guy, right? What did Jesus say to Peter? In Matthew 16, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this Peter, upon this Cephas, upon you, I'm going to build the church. I think Peter probably knew the gospel and he knew the good news, right? What about after Peter had denied Jesus and Jesus comes back to life and they're walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter what? He says, feed my sheep. He gives him this command and says, go out and do this. Take the gospel that you know, Peter, and take it to these other people. Right? Later on in Acts chapter 3, Peter's in Jerusalem, and he's sharing the gospel. He says, silver and gold I have not, but this I have, the good news. And he shares the gospel with the man. The man's healed. Later on in his life, Peter writes a letter. First Peter, we call that. I guess he probably wrote two letters, right? <laughs> the first letter he wrote, he talks about the hypocrisy of believers. So Peter clearly understood the gospel. He clearly understood that hypocrisy about the gospel was not a good thing. And yet here he was. In hypocrisy. So Peter knew the gospel better than probably anybody else in history. I don't know. We could probably make the case that Paul probably knew it pretty well too. But here's Peter, the key guy. The first guy. And yet he succumbs here in Galatia. He succumbs to legalism and elitism. He, see, he stopped eating with the Gentiles. It's, I know we don't want to dive too much into what was exactly going on here, but you've got this group of Gentiles, right? The people who are not Jews. And they're going on being their Gentile selves, just like all of us, right? I think most of us are probably Gentiles and not Jews, and we just kind of go on with the things that we're doing because the gospel doesn't have anything to do with those things 
that you're doing. And Peter shows up and yet there's this group of people that we talked about last week, these Jews who've become Christians and they go, you know what? If you become a Christian, you've got to sort of do what the law says. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to eat this way. You've got to do this. You shouldn't be unclean. You shouldn't do these things. And Peter shows up and he joins these guys. He joins them in doing this. And that just, just demonstrates this cultural elitism where he thinks, oh, being a Jew is actually a, a thing that's good and that we should really be after and that God looks at in a superior way. And that's hypocrisy because as we've talked about, the gospel plus something equals what? Nothing. That's right. And so Peter was adding something to the gospel. And in adding something to the gospel, he was a hypocrite. And so if Peter is a hypocrite, Peter, the rock, the center of the faith, the first guy, the one who's supposed to feed the sheep and take the gospel to him, if he's a hypocrite, Surely I'm a hypocrite. I think that's true. See, and the reason for that is that I'm a sinner. And you're a sinner. And when we come to Jesus, we come to, come to know him and receive him as our Lord and our Savior, we carry with us baggage. Carry with us the world's assumptions about what we're supposed to do. We carry that into our new gospel life. I think that I'm better than others. I think that I have superior knowledge. I think that I have superior intellect. I think that I understand things better. I can be legalistic. I can be elitist. I can make judgments about others about how they look or what they do or where they live or what school they went to. And sometimes I can take those actions so far that I think that I'm better in God's eyes because of what I am or what I do than other people. And that's not the gospel. And so that makes me a hypocrite. <clears throat> so I need to be continually, continually realigning my life with the gospel. See, Paul does that right here. He makes this statement and he kind of does it for Peter. He goes, Peter, you're living over here. Let's get you back over here into the gospel. And I need to do that. Well, how do I need to do that? Well, we can understand as we go on here. I can combat hypocrisy by rightly understanding justification. If we go on into verses 15 to 21, I'll read this. It's good to read the word of God. We are Jews. This is Paul continuing on here. We, you and me, Peter, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith, in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found senders, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So justification. What is justification? Sometimes I think about, uh, I don't know, how many of you use word processors? I mean, all of us, right? Don't we all use, we all have it like on our phones now, right? And what do you do when you want to get like the margin? You like justify it? (laughs) Right justify, less justify. That's not what we're talking about here. Justification means being freed from due penalty. Do you guys remember we've talked about Romans 6, 23? It says, the wages of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. It's due for us. We've worked really hard to be sinners. <laughs> and we're due a penalty, and that penalty is death. It's due to us, but justification is being freed from that penalty. And so justification is not the opposite of cleanliness. Does that make sense? Cleanliness is just, I, I just kind of washed it off, Right? can go and take a bath. But like what Jesus was talking about, you can get clean on the outside, but inside, you're still due the penalty. You still have to pay for the justice. And so justification is the opposite of that condemnation. It's not just about being clean. It's about being justified completely on the inside. It's about being both acquitted for the crime and being immune Never having to face any penalty for anything else you could ever do. You'd never be prosecuted. And so when we think about it this way, we realize that God doesn't accept me because I'm good. He accepts me despite the fact that I'm bad. Despite my sin. I'm acceptable not because I'm righteous, I'm righteous because I'm acceptable to God. I can and I will still sin. I've, I've received the Lord. I've received Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And yet I'm going to continue to sin. Each one of us who's done that continues to sin. We, that's really scientific. We just observe it happening to us. <clears throat> but even though we, get to, we, we continue to sin, we have the opportunity to live righteously. We can live for the right things. We're doing good works. We, when we receive Jesus, we receive the good news. We do good works not to improve our standing before God. We do good works because we love God. We obey God because he is God. I live to please him for who he is, not for what he can give me. So, Right there in verse 20. I love verse 20. It's going to tell us how to really understand the gospel. Sort of the fullness of the gospel. And so we walk through this piece by piece. The first thing Paul says is, I have been crucified with Christ. He means I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to it. The punishment is paid. I have been acquitted and I am immune from the penalty of sin forever the punishment is paid and then he goes on he says it is no longer i who live christ lives in me does that make sense god doesn't see your sin anymore if 
You've received the free gift of salvation. God no longer sees. He looks at you. He doesn't see you as a, a sinner who he forgave. And No, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's perfection when he sees you. And so nothing you do that's good improves your standing in his eyes. Paul goes on. He says, the life which I now live. Right? We got to keep going in life. The life which I now live, I live by faith. And so we get to choose to live in line with the gospel. We get to choose to keep realigning ourselves back to the good news. I get to live fully. I get to live freely. And yet I get to choose to live in line with the gospel. He goes on in the next verse. Verse 21 really tells us that good works aren't good. Seems kind of, I don't know. Is that ironic? Opposite doesn't seem, wait, you said it was good and it's not good. Good works are not good in that sense is that they don't provide justification. He says this, he says, if righteousness comes through the law, if righteousness of any kind comes through doing good works, Christ's death was pointless, was needless. So if I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and the free gift of salvation, I get eternity with him and I turn around and think I've got to do good work so that I can improve myself, my standing in his eyes, that means I don't believe the gospel. If good works could either save or bring better standing in God's eyes, then Jesus' sacrifice and Jesus' death was for nothing. It was for nothing. And so that's... so. That, I think from this, what do, we, what do we learn? We think back to our first statement about are Christians hypocrites? I think there's some bad news. And that bad news is that we Christians are hypocrites. But the good news is that we're hypocrites who have a solution for our hypocrisy. What is that solution? That solution is to go back to the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news and that good news is that Jesus saves us. He pays that penalty. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. He stands in our place. And yet there's another aspect of the gospel that we so often forget. And that is that the good news also justifies us. It's not, oh, we're saved by grace and then we do good works to maintain that standing in God's eyes. No, in that justification, we are freed to live good lives. So we talk about life. I think there's a practical application here, something I've been thinking about recently I wanted to share with you from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. It says this, Jesus is making an analogy between sheep and people. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And he gets to the kicker. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then he says this. I came that they, those who believe, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, what is abundant life? I think that term gets corrupted in our culture, doesn't it? We think it means having a good car or a good house or a good job or being free from pain or suffering or having things good. Someone once told me, and it's really stuck with me, they said, well, what is life? Let's go back, let's talk about life abundant. What is life? Life is joy and sorrow, happiness and pain, good things and bad things. And Jesus didn't say, I've come that you may have life without that other half. He said, I've come that you may have life abundantly. You to experience all of these things in an abundant way. It's an abundant way. See, I think we live in a culture where, and maybe this is universal to all people, I don't know, in all places, but we, we, we certainly live in a culture where we're always looking for the next thing. We kind of want to check out and check into something else, and we want to see what does the world provide? What are the things I can do, whether it's, oh, drinking or sexual things or entertainment or other things that we try to just give our hearts to? Somebody this weekend shared an analogy that I've been really praying about, thinking about the past couple days. He said, the world gives experiences. The world gives us experiences. That's what it has to offer, and in some ways... Following Jesus is not about experiences. His analogy was this. He said the world offers fireworks. Fireworks are pretty cool, right? You'll love the explosion, the color, the light, and the noise. But you have darkness, and then you have light, and it's gone in an instant. And it's back to darkness and some smoke. It's like if the wind blows, it starts choking you. And it doesn't satisfy. And you go, you go to a fireworks show and you do what? They shoot up one and you're like, oh, that was cool. And you go home. <laughs> no, you want more and more and more. And we want the finale and more and more and more. And then it's still over. And you're still left with nothing. But that's not what a relationship with Jesus offers. That's not what the good news is about. The good news is really more like a fire, like a campfire. And it's this constant light and this constant heat and this constant source of opportunity to be with others around this thing and sharing it and it's cool to look at but it's not the experience of the fireworks is it and I think a lot of us love campfires but it's not the same as a fireworks show and I think that's really true I think that what the gospel does not offer us is it's experience it's not these grand experiences it's the constancy of relationship, the warmth, the heat, the light of being together with Jesus. And yet, those of us who have received that free gift can live in hypocrisy about that. We can turn away from that fire and say, I really want to go back to the fireworks. We had a meeting this week, a number of you were there, our Inspire class on Tuesday night, and a theme I heard is people were sharing their hearts, and it was a really great meeting. Um, it just seemed to be this theme about uh, I, I, the world beats me down so much I just want to check out. I just kind of want to check out. I want to turn on Netflix. I want to <clears throat> just come home and veg out or not engage. 
And I think that's part of the deal is that we, we don't want to engage with the fire. We don't want to engage with abundant life because when we really get down to it, we recognize that the abundant life is both joy and sorrow. You know, Jesus tells us to carry each other's burdens and that's part of that. That's part of the sorrow of the abundant life. And sometimes we just don't want to deal. We don't want to check out of this. And I was really even convicted this week um, just with an experience I had. And this very thing is very small. Sometimes I just, I don't want to carry those burdens for other people. I don't want to engage. I want to retreat. I was scrolling through Facebook and uh, I saw a blog post. Some of you know uh, Dave and Erica, and you know, I'm sorry I hadn't talked to you guys about this before, but it's good. Um, they've written a blog about their daughter. And for those of you, I know a number of you do, a number of you who don't, uh, their daughter was born a couple months premature earlier this year. And it's been a really, really tough year for Dave and Erica. And, and Nora's doing great, and she's making progress, and I'm just so encouraged by your guys' faith. And there it was on the Facebook feed, a new blog about Honora. And I just zipped by it because I didn't want to engage. Later on, I was doing something else. I looked at it again. I was going through the news feed and there it was again. And I went by it. And I wish I, I, wish I could say that was it, but it was, it was probably two or three more times that I skipped your blog. Finally, God was like, why are you checking out, Greg? <laughs> and so I read it. <laughs> I was really encouraged, but I hope you guys will forgive me for checking out. But that's what we do, even in small ways. Man, it was a great blog. I hope you guys all go and read it, because I was really encouraged by it. And they even like shared a verse I'd shared with them, and I was like, wow, I was encouraged by my own verse that I shared. <laughs> but it's good. That's, that's what we do. And we got to be on guard about that because something God has given us as believers, and it's right here in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. It says this, it says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus Christ, died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. If you're out there and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, we don't view you from a worldly point of view. We view you from a spiritual point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has received the free gift of salvation, he is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to him, to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
And so if you've received this free gift, you've been called into a ministry of reconciliation. You've, you've been reconciled to God. You've been justified. You've been saved and you no longer have to work. You have no longer have to do good deeds to be right in God's eyes. And so we've been given this ministry of telling other people about that same reconciliation that we have. And so if you're here and you're struggling with that and you don't have a relationship with God, just know that's what the Firehouse Church is here for. This is the ministry we have, is the ministry of reconciliation. That because we've been reconciled to God, we want you too to be reconciled to God. I say this a lot. I say, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to be reconciled to God too. And we have this ministry of reconciliation. And so that's what we're after But there's another aspect, isn't there, of the ministry of reconciliation. It's in my own heart. It's in my own life. Some of you know our vision is to reach the world with Jesus starting here. And starting here also means right inside of me. And preaching the gospel to myself. Each of us has the ministry of reconciling our own selves. Day after day, moment after moment, when we check out to check back in to the gospel. We have to be reconciled every day, moment by moment. And so I think to get back to our very first question, are Christians hypocrites? Yes, we are hypocrites. But God has given this ministry of reconciliation to hypocrites. And he's given it to hypocrites who have an answer to that hypocrisy, which is to realign ourselves back to the gospel every time and be renewed in our reconciliation to Jesus. And so that's my encouragement to you, to each one of you, to preach the gospel to yourself each day, all of the time. Realign yourself with that good news of justification. Let's pray. God, I'm just so thankful for the good news. God, I'm just amazes me that you would send your son to reconcile us to you, to pay that penalty, to, to take the wage that was due to us, the death that is due for our sin that separates us from you. God, we, we just are humbled by, by that gift of, of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know there's probably some here who uh, have been wrestling, are wrestling, thinking about, is, is that true? Is it not true? God, that's just, our heart, each one of us who's received that gift knows that that's uh, is your plan to save us. And all we have to do is invite you, invite you into our life and, and receive the free gift of, of salvation, of forgiveness and place you on the throne as the Lord of our life in that. God, help us to to preach the gospel day in and day out, and moment by moment, help us to realign ourselves back. Help us not to check out. Help us not to be tempted by what the world offers of the fireworks and the flash and the noise and the color, because we know that at the end is just emptiness and brokenness. Lord, help us to continually come back to the fire. Come back to you and our relationship with you and the good news that you've given us.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.